Trendstorm. Welcome to Radio Sputnik and Trendstorm. My name is Andrew Kripko, and I'm going to give you a forward-focused analysis of things to come and the general trends behind them. Here's what we have for you today. Facebook. How far will it fall? Facebook stock fell over 20% following reports of less-than-expected earnings after the company has struggled to fight fake news, censorship accusations, and the flight of some of its users. BRICS T. Reality or Fantasy? President Erdogan's declaration last week that Turkey would like to join BRICS as a full-fledged member has drawn a lot of attention but also generated plenty of debate about whether it's feasible. And also... MESA, Trump's Arab NATO. Reports have circulated that the Trump administration is toying with the idea of a Middle East Strategic Alliance, abbreviated by the media as MESA, to function as a so-called Arab NATO against Iran. Opening up this edition of Trendstorm is Facebook's freefall. Facebook stock fell over 20% following reports of less-than-expected earnings after the company has struggled to fight fake news, censorship accusations, and the flight of some of its users. The over $120 billion that the company lost infamously makes it the largest loss in stock market history, and CEO and founder Mark Zuckerberg reportedly had over $17 billion wiped out. The shock set in immediately, with pundits and regular users alike wondering just how far Facebook will fall and whether the platform's best days are now behind it. And some even went as far as speculating that it'll soon become the next MySpace and end up all but irrelevant. From being indirectly implicated in the Russiagate conspiracy for supposedly allowing fake news to be peddled on his platform, to being exposed earlier this year for allowing Cambridge Analytica to harvest its users' data for political purposes, it's fair to say that Facebook has been in the spotlight for all the wrong reasons over the past couple of years. On top of that, some politically active users who defy mainstream media dogma have alleged that they're being shadow-blocked, meaning that the algorithm is suppressing their account's so-called organic reach, or sometimes outright censored through frivolous blocking. In turn, these people and their friends have migrated away from Facebook and to competitors like Vcontacte. This wouldn't ordinarily be a problem for Facebook had it not been for the successful awareness campaign that alt-media has conducted in drawing attention to the company's liberal bias, incidentally helped along by several high-profile scandals against conservatives and highlighted by Breitbart, among others. Facebook generates most of its revenue from selling ads, so any speculation about its suspected suppression of certain categories of accounts for political purposes would obviously impact on its earnings. Additionally, the measure that the company is taking to fight fake news and prevent third parties from tricking users into voluntarily giving up their data, like Cambridge Analytica did, are thought to negatively affect its business model. At this point, There is no denying that Facebook is in the throes of its largest ever crisis, and that Zuckerberg's leadership over his brainchild is increasingly in doubt as proverbial pitchfork-wielding shareholders demand his resignation, though it remains to be seen whether the company can weather what might at this point be an existential crisis, or if it'll go the way of MySpace in the coming years. 
So folks, I think it's fair to say that each and every one of us has a Facebook account and probably checks into the platform daily. So I think this topic is very important for all of us. And therefore, we're going to speak to two very high profile guests about this. The first one is Mr. Joaquin Forrest. He's the chief editor of Fort Roos News and director of the Center for Syncretic Studies. Trendstorm. Okay, Joaquin, what's at the root of Facebook's existential crisis? Liberal greed, a bias, deep state puppeteering, government regulation, changing social trends, all these factors, some of them, or maybe even something else? <laughs> That's a great question, Andrew, and thanks for having me on the show. You know, the problem with Facebook is that it originally was developed primarily as an information gathering hub. As a program, what it does is it obviously tracks users' interests, needs, wants, and predilections. What's very interesting about it is it also saw something very startling, that people were sharing ideas in ways that hadn't been thought of before. So what we began to be seeing was a cross-semination and cross-pollination of ideas that had potentially destabilizing effects on the present Western Atlanticist order. As a consequence, they decided that they had to move from a tracking method to basically shutting down discourse because they saw that they had created something that they couldn't control. Now, of course, there's commercial interest, but I have to warn listeners that most of what they're hearing on mainstream media about the congressional investigation into Facebook or most of what we're reading about share owners' concerns and possibly the removal of Zuckerberg from Facebook all are revolving around a controlled discourse, which really doesn't get to the heart of it. Okay, now I want to ask you more about your personal experiences with Facebook, Joaquin, because the last post you made on the platform was a press release about why you're leaving it. So for those of our listeners who haven't read it, can you tell them why you finally made this decision? Right. Well, you know, there's 24 hours in a day, not 240 hours in a day. And the purpose in peer-to-peer communication for content creators such as myself is that we need to be able to reach broad audiences. Now, the flip side of that and what was great about Facebook originally was that there was a way for our audiences to interact with us, to give us suggestions, to bounce ideas off of, to ask us questions. And so it went from being a platform in which we were able to broadcast certain very important news and opinion ideas that were shaping the discourse. And over time, it was very clear that they were shadow banning people such as myself, such as friends of mine, and they were shadow banning and sort of putting an algorithmic clamp down which made it impossible to reach more than, say, 20, 30, 40, 50 people. So having four or 5,000 friends and several thousand followers on Facebook didn't mean that you were going to be reaching seven or 8,000 people as it used to be, say, 10 years ago when Facebook was at its peak. Okay, so what do you see uh, the future of Facebook being? I mean, there are three scenarios I have in mind, and I kind of want to pick your brain on each of them. One of them is that another platform eventually replaces it. The other is that Facebook just remains the industry leader. And the third one is that social media uh, balkanizes, if you will, into many parts. So which of these three do you think are the most probable? I see a combination of the last two that you suggested. There will definitely be a balkanization of uh, social networking What we can see with youth trends today, so we're looking at the 15 to 25 market, is really the best indicator of where things are going to be in the next three, four, and five years, maybe even the next 18 to 24 months. And so I think that what we're going to see is not a replacement of Facebook itself. We're going to see Facebook essentially replace programs like LinkedIn as Facebook has become increasingly just more like LinkedIn. And instead of that, we're going to see alternatives to Twitter, smaller, more interest-based groups, 
And unfortunately, that's going to inhibit the cross-pollinization of ideas, which has made the very present exciting moment so very possible. At the same time, though, as a trade-off, is that it'll secure thing. It'll ensure things like security, and it'll be more effective at community building and as a platform for content producers. Now, content creators and producers are really in a different position than content consumers. Content consumers haven't really felt the same thing that content producers have felt. And so there's certainly clearly a division happening. I think in the evolution of the internet over time, what we're going to see is that there will be platforms that allow content creators and producers to reach broader audiences in a way in which they are in control of their own nodes of dissemination and not subject to things like shadow banning, clampdowns, and algorithmic games. Okay, I see. So, Joaquin, the last thing I want to ask you real quickly is if you have any advice for listeners who are struggling with Facebook censorship or who want to follow you. I mean, since you left Facebook, I know you had your press release, but can you tell our listeners who might not be aware, like, where they can find your work now? Right. Well, there's going to be Gab. You'll find us on Gab. You'll find us still on Twitter, although Twitter is facing similar problems. You'll find us on Fort Roots News, and we're going to be expanding the community and changing how we use uh, commenting systems will probably be getting rid of Discuss because people are finding very similar to Facebook problems on Discuss. So it's all about creating communities. You'll find us at Fort Roos News in the comments section, which we will be reorganizing to make it a way better user experience. As well, we'll find other increasing platforms like Steemit and Medium. So you're going to see, like you said, and suggested a balkanization and decentralization, and you'll be finding syncretic studies in Fort Roos News and the projects I'm connected to, and all these various multi-platformed uh, methods. Well, Kane, this was a very engaging conversation that drew attention to Facebook's many faults that have ruined an otherwise pretty good idea. So thanks for speaking with us today. Now we're going to switch over here and Mr. Patrick Henningsen has to say. Patrick is the executive editor of the news and analysis site 21stCenturyWire.com. Trendstorm. Okay, Patrick, you regularly post a lot about your experiences with Facebook censorship. So for those of our listeners who haven't been following you, can you please inform them about the troubles that you've had? Yeah, I've been a user on that platform for over 10 years. And the main issue that we have with Facebook is they're well, throttling uh, our visibility and in a lot of cases just completely restricting uh, us from making any uh, posts at all or myself personally on my Facebook page, and normally how this is done is uh, it'll uh, a, a machine algorithm will tell you automatically that uh, you are abusing this feature and uh, you're moving too fast. So the irony is that a machine is telling a human being that they're uh, doing too many shares uh, to their friends or groups or contacts, uh, and so then they're restricted from using that feature. So this the throttling visibility is one thing, and then uh, also charging for sharing your content with other users uh, or fans of your fan page. And that's basically their business model, which is extorting money from uh, users uh, in order to allow people to see their content. Uh, those are fans and things that you've worked hard to accumulate over the years, and now you, you can't even see them. You have to pay to have your content boosted. Uh, to be able to see them. And if the content is deemed by the computer to be uh, political, quote unquote, uh, then you're restricted even then from using that feature. Uh, so I mean, that's just one example of many, but a lot of people have had their accounts completely deleted or removed 
uh, a case by Eva Bartlett, a great writer and activist recently who reports on Syria. Uh, she had an ISIS flag in one of the images where she was uh, doing a presentation about an important issue about terrorism, and they barred her for 30 days. So this is a, a really problematic platform uh, in terms of censorship, and they've devolved a lot of the responsibility of that to a machine, which kind of gives them a layer of deniability or just absolutely no access whatsoever to talk to a human being about any of these issues with this corporation. Very, very disturbing, Patrick, and I'm sure you're not the only person that's experienced these problems. So to what extent do you think that concerns about Facebook censorship, distrust over privacy policies, and declining user rates because of this could have contributed to its historically unprecedented stock market loss of over $120 billion? And how responsible is this modified business plan that it rolled out to supposedly combat fake news? Yes, yeah, many of us wept uh, in the streets uh, at the news that Mark Zuckerberg lost uh, $17 billion odd dollars in three hours or whatever it was. Truly heartbreaking, certainly. But um, this is no, it's not my space. In other words, um, this is a very integrated, multi-level uh, public communications network with, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of active users, billions of users, hundreds of millions of videos being uploaded, uh, syndication, live streaming, public service pages, etc. So, But more than that, they have a monopoly, uh, period. So when you have a monopoly over a market, um, there's not a lot of motivation to really give uh, any decent service uh, to your uh, customers. And so I think uh, in terms of Cambridge Analytica and this privacy row, I think this is a Cassius Belli. This has been used in the, as an excuse uh, to regulate more, to censor more. And, and the fake news crisis, which is a fake crisis, is the same. It's an excuse, I think, that's being used. Um, governments are used applying pressure on Facebook you look at Facebook in, in the United States, in Western Europe, uh, you know, Facebook might have a democratic or progressive orientation politically, it seems, uh, in the United States and same in Western Europe. Um, but internationally, it's colorblind. Uh, in that sense, it will collude and cave into the whims of any government in order to maintain uh, access to that market. In Brazil, they'll take down pages of the Free Brazil Movement, which is a conservative political movement. And in Pakistan, they'll comply with the conservative government to remove left-wing pages or material, like in 2014 with the uh, progressive rock band or Al and so forth. So the government can lean on this firm and can extort it uh, threats and it can will fine you as they did in Germany a uh, fake news fines last year uh, threats of millions of dollars if they don't remove fake news within 24 hours and so forth so they're pressuring facebook um, to comply with the, their whims, which is they want to restrict certain types of criticism or potentially certain politically inconvenient trends forming on social media platforms. And their Facebook then has to, you know, use machine learning, what they call, or AI algorithms uh, in order to do that dirty work for them. And so the end user is the one who loses in the end. We're the users that built up the platform, the early adopters. Facebook has basically stabbed them in the back. Right. Um, they monetized uh, the user base in order to pump up the share price. That's why all their, that's why Mark Zuckerberg is a multi-billionaire. That's why all the Facebook employees are millionaires is because of the size of the user base that translates into the market cap. So they all profited. Now they've got their money and they're cashing out and they've all made their millions. They're stabbing their users in the back and turning this platform into sort of a automated uh, virtual reality where censorship is 
uh, closing every door you can imagine, and people can't even see or shadow banning users, in, in fact. Okay, Patrick, we have about a minute left, and I just want to ask you, whose responsibility is this? I mean, how much responsibility does Mark Zuckerberg, as the originator of this platform and its CEO, have for everything that we talked about, and what difference, if any, could it make if the shareholders succeed in removing him from power, as some have speculated, or he just resigns? Well, Mark Zuckerberg is responsible in that. He, so symbolically, he's the leader of this company. And, you know, if you watch the congressional hearings, you watched him cave in to the hysteria magpies in Washington and Congress. And, uh, you know, I would say Mark Zuckerberg would be more you know, intelligent than them. But unfortunately, uh, he caved into this uh, narrative of Russian bots. And he knows very well that uh, Russian bots or Russian uh, hackers or whatever, um, kids in Macedonia, they didn't hand uh, the presidency to Donald Trump. But yet he stood there and took it, went along with it. And as I said before, complied with the government. Uh, in order to sort of protect himself and his shareholders. Uh, so by doing so, he betrayed his user base. So yes, he is completely responsible in that effect. So does he care? I don't think he does care. I think this is about money. Um, they have only one obligation. It's not a moral obligation to their users or to the public. Their obligation is to their shareholders. End of story. Uh, that's all that matters in, in this sense. So it's, it is really unfortunate, but you know, this is the narrow, uh, political, ideological worldview that's pervasive in the United States. Unfortunately, that's the dominant share of Facebook's user market, um, certainly on visibly anyway, internationally, and, uh, the bias is extreme. And they're making decisions, which uh, unfortunately, um, in the end, I think are damaging to things like freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, even in the virtual space. So it's, it's really not positive at all the way they're behaving. Patrick, this was an enlightening interview that I hope opened up people's eyes to Facebook's unsavory activities and how they might have contributed to a dramatic $120 billion stock loss. So thanks again for speaking with us today. Very interesting conversation. Trendstorm. Now, folks, if we think back and what both Joaquin and Patrick both shared with us today, we can come to the conclusion that Facebook is censoring its users, both directly and indirectly through shadow blocking. There are also other reasons for this. I mean, one of them is that they want to reinforce mainstream media narratives. But at the same time, we need to understand that Facebook isn't a public commons. There are these types of rules and regulations that are being imposed on people and selectively imposed at that. So Facebook is not a place for free speech. It's not a place where you can exactly say what you want to say, especially if you're politically involved and you defy mainstream media dogma. Hopefully an alternative will arise or some type of solution will be created. But in the meantime, what's happening in Facebook sure is pretty dystopian. Folks, if you want to sound off and share what you think about this, please send us an email at radio at spinnakernews.com or find us on Facebook. Stay with us.